Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Darnowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. Our top story this week is the state visit of Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Well, okay, that's not actually our top story. I just really wanted to say something other than the presidential primary race, but I've gotten that out of my system, and maybe we will get to the state visit of Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Though, Always exciting when Canadians come to visit. Well, you know, uh, it's been a while. But anyway, um, let, let's start with the Republicans. Uh, on Tuesday, Donald Trump won primaries in Hawaii, Michigan, and Mississippi. Those are three states you often don't hear mentioned together, I don't think. And that, of course, expanded his delegate lead over Ted Cruz. Uh, now going into the big contest on the Ides of March, that would be this Tuesday, the 15th. Trump has 459 delegates to 360 for Cruz, followed by Rubio at 152, and John Kasich still in there swinging at 54. Though at this point, I think the math is fairly clear. Trump is the only one of the remaining four candidates with a shot of winning the nomination outright, at least, before the convention in Cleveland. I think the best the others can hope for is to keep him from getting to 1237, the magic number, and fight it out on the floor in a contested convention, something we're going to talk about, I think, a little bit later on in the podcast. Um, And even Marco Rubio's communications director admitted as much when he urged voters to choose Kasich over Rubio in the Ohio primary in an attempt to deny Trump a majority. So... What do you what do you make of all this uh, developments over the last week, Jay? Uh, do you think- well, the 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 math is what it is, and uh, I, I think you hit it right on the head. And um, I think we we even said this last week that uh, at this point there's no question of of really beating Trump in trying to get the uh, delegate count. It's just a matter of stopping him. Yeah, yeah, it- um, and that's and it looks at this point like uh, John Kasich. Uh, is the only one who can possibly do that. Really? Um, well, I mean, uh, let's put it this way. If if uh, Trump wins Ohio and wins Florida, uh, my sense is that he, he will – it will be over. I don't know that Cruz will be able to stop him from getting the number at that point. Right. Okay. I see what you're um, saying. Sure. So Kasich is sort of uh, – and again, we're pr- proud to be an Ohioan here at uh, this time as we're kind of like the – like the the three hundred Spartans at uh, Thermopylae, or uh, uh, the the Belgians in uh, World War Two, just kind of we just we just have to hold the bridge are, long are enough. Are we going to die in this scenario, Jay? Because I want to. Well, <laughs> it, it, it could well be. Okay. Um, just just hold the bridge long enough till um, uh, the you know people can coalesce. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's I think that's going to happen uh, after after Tuesday. My sense is that uh, Kasich will win Ohio. Uh, and that Rubio will lose Florida, mm-hmm. at which point Rubio will drop out, and uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, Cruz and Kasich will have to sort of cooperate. Uh, I don't know whether it's going to be forming a unity ticket or something like that. It might be pretty early to talk about that sort of thing. Well, let me let me uh, ask you before we get to that. Let, let me ask you about the whole Rubio thing because it seemed like from the beginning people were saying that well, Rubio's not going to do well in these early states. He's really not going to hit his stride until the fifteenth, and so. 
uh, a lot of his poor early showing was predicted. And yet it seems like, especially in the last week, even though a lot of pundits, a lot of pollsters said, you know, this isn't a strong part of the of the primary season for him. His campaign has fizzled away into essentially nothing. I mean, now he uh, I looked on uh, predictit.org and now, you know, he he has like a he's he's down to, I think, four cents or five cents a share and, and Kasich's doing a lot better. So what do you think happened with the kind of incredible shrinking Rubio campaign? I, I I wish I I wish I knew. Um, I mean, yeah, Marco Rubio feels the same way. Who, who would who would uh, theorize that it's because he went negative against Trump? Uh, I I don't know about that. Um, my sense is is more that, and again, this is this is just my sense, but that he did, since he did not do well in the South, and he did not the polls have, have not shown him doing well in his home state of Florida. I think a lot of folks have started to write him off at, at that point. Uh, if you can't win your own state, and and really one of the big virtues of of having a Marco Rubio, and aside from look, I I, I like the guy a lot, and I think I've I've said that on this uh, on the program a number of times. Um, uh, but one of the the big things he would bring would be uh, someone who could carry Florida. Uh, that appears to be in doubt. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the thing. And and then likewise, one of the probably the, the one of the biggest virtues for Kasich. And again, uh, setting aside, I think he's been a great governor and I like him as a candidate. And I think he's a, uh, you know, overall decent human being um, is is that he could bring Ohio. Yeah. Uh, Ohio being so very if, important. If, yeah. You know, Rubio without Florida is is sort of what's the point? Not, nothing much. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 so- I, and my sense is, is people started realizing that the polls weren't budging on Florida. Um, you know, Trump had a commanding lead and, and again, sometimes Trump has a commanding lead, but when you, you push it, it, it backs off. But in this case, it hasn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, what was interesting to me, there was a, another Republican debate uh, on Thursday and what was really unusual and different about it is the volume was just turned way, way down. And, and even Donald Trump, you know, mentioned, commented how civil it had been. And it seems to me that, you know, Trump is almost starting to look past the primaries to turn himself into a general election candidate, which I, boy, I sure didn't expect to expect to see that. But it was uh, it was a little heavier on the policy and a lot lighter on the insults than any other Republican debate that I can recall. So uh, I think Trump's starting to feel like he's the in in his heart, like he's the real inevitable nominee. And of course, he's been getting some endorsements. Uh, Ben Carson endorsed him. So, what do you think about that? Uh, were you surprised <clears throat> at Carson endorsing Trump? I was. I was surprised. Uh, surprised, and I'd also say disappointed. Uh, as were a lot of um, conservatives. Um, I don't know whether there was some some Facebook traffic um, sort of posts of uh, you know what stuff it, what people had sent to uh, uh, Ben Carson after his endorsement. Uh, but it it really is is just. A little baffling, and, and this goes to maybe again that, that Ben Carson just isn't ready for prime time. Uh, that he would, you know, he had he had really been the evangelical um, figure in in this uh, race, and uh, again, I've, I've got a, a great theory. I'll, I'll expand on that in a minute about why Trump seems to be getting evangelicals because it, it hadn't made sense to me until I started thinking about it a different way. Uh, but, but Ben Carson's support of him really, I think, betrays a lot of that uh, evangelical base. Uh, a lot of folks who, who, who do base their votes on, is this man a, a 
you know, appear to be a good Christian, someone who represent my faith, uh, someone who shares my values. Um, and Trump is not that. Well, what about Carson's argument that he came out and said, well, there are really two Donald Trumps. There's the one we see in public, the showman and so forth. But there's also the thoughtful, cerebral Donald Trump, who's hidden from public view. And according to Carson, that uh, he had a chance to really get get a sense of the the real Donald Trump, the inner Trump, as it were. And and he thinks that that's the way that Donald Trump is going to govern. That's the way he's going to act as president. Not like not like just putting on a show, which is what he's doing now to pull people in. Do you buy well, that? I guess you do ask Ben Carson, which, which, which Donald Trump was the one that called him a psychopath uh, and, a, and you know, implied he was a child molester. Well, he's a forgiving um, guy, Ben Carson. Well, again, I, yes, I appreciate that he is a, a, a good Christian man and is uh, big on forgiveness. Um, but at some, at some point, and I think he's probably right, I, I don't think Trump is as, as uh, goofy as he as he comes off, I think a lot of the, his stuff is a shtick. But um, still, if you're if you're saying those things in public, and that and 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 that becoming your public persona, uh, it, it becomes more difficult to to distinguish between the two. Now, maybe there is a a more thoughtful Trump uh, hiding somewhere there and beneath, and I, I believe there probably is. There's sort of uh, got to be. I mean, there's yeah, no way he can uh, be as unthoughtful, as thoughtless. I don't know as 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 his public persona is. Yeah. But you know, it's it's that's also sort of a weird a weird way to endorse someone to say uh, uh, I'm for this guy because he's he's not as crazy as he seems. Right. So um, so I, well, and there was another endorsement that came in as well. Uh, Carly Fiorina through her support, not behind Donald Trump, but behind Ted Cruz. I don't know right. if that's that makes really a lot gonna, more sense. Yeah, definitely. Do you think that's going to have much of an impact? Um, you know, not at this point. You know, are there are there a bunch of Carly Fiorina voters out there who are wondering where to go? Yeah, um, probably not. Probably yeah. not. Yeah. Um, but I think it's it's a sign that uh, the rest of the GOP will coalesce around Ted Cruz. Yeah. And yeah. I say that with as, as much as I I uh, like and and revere John Kasich, uh, I I think that uh, Cruz would be the presumptive uh, anti-Trump candidate, and if if it goes to the convention floor and there's a fight. I think it's going to be a a Cruz versus Trump fight. Hmm. Okay. Well, well, barring, barring something weird, which which again, this year lots of weird stuff has happened. Definitely. So, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely have to get we'll into talk that more. about how that how that plays out in a bit. But. Absolutely. So you had now one, before we get to your theory on why you think Trump is doing as well as he is with evangelical voters. I should also mention that Michael Bloomberg had a big announcement, said that he will not be running for president because he felt that doing so would help Donald Trump. And uh, clearly he doesn't want to help Donald Trump. Uh, uh, That really didn't surprise me a whole lot. I didn't get the sense that Bloomberg was all that serious about it, though he's, you know, he said in the past he'd be willing to spend a billion dollars of his own money to to win the presidency. But uh, that that never really seemed to me like it was going to materialize. You have any thoughts on that, Jay? Um, I, you know, I don't know. I think look, if you're if you're Bloomberg, uh, you've got the luxury of of sort of playing the game of well, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Um, and look, running for president is is a horrendous amount of work and hassle and all that. And, and I, I think he probably just sat back, did the math and said, okay, I'll, I'll think about it. And he thought about it. And um, I, I think he's, he's probably, probably right that uh, it, it would help Trump, if, yeah. especially if he ran as a third party. Right, so, right. So, so oh, now to this theory here. So why do you think Trump is doing 
better than expected among evangelicals? Uh, well, this is based on on completely me just thinking about stuff. Uh, no actual data. Not no little actual. Oh, we don't need no data. I understand no, you're just... a you're a political scientist and all, and you like to have actual numbers and and you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, you know that's it helps sometimes. But, but go ahead. No, please. What what struck me is uh, I read a lot about you know his supporters. And people say they're angry, and I think yes, that's part of it. But I think the other part of it is they're they're folks who feel that they have lost something that, that we used to have. Uh, that, Greatness. That, uh, pardon? Yeah, exactly, Greatness. exactly. That America is not what it once was. Uh, there have been all these changes that have happened, uh, and they feel that they've been left out of them. And, and I think they're many, in, in many ways traditionalists. Uh, maybe is the best way to put it. I mean, people have phrased them as being authoritarians or. Bigots, uh, what happened to you? Or, yeah, bigots, bunker racist. types. But I, yeah. I don't. I think it's a little deeper than that. And you know, for example, we had talked. Um, I don't know if we talked about the show or just uh, Facebooked about this. The uh, polls that showed that uh, you know so many Trump supporters uh, still supported you know flying the Confederate flag. Right. Uh, some even indicated they still supported slavery. Now there are some uh, problems with those polls. Yeah, we should point out. Right. Uh, but my, my sense is you have a group of, of traditional voters, and for those evangelicals, they are traditionalists first and evangelical second. Yeah. The, the, the religion uh, is sort of a piece of that traditionalist. You know, there is – I think you're follow. absolutely right, Jay. I, and there's actually – believe it or not, there's actually some data to back you up on this. So you'll See, be happy oh, to know. There would be. You know, because when, uh, when, when you look at breakdowns among uh, evangelicals and you look at the breakdown between evangelicals who attend church regularly and those who just call themselves evangelicals but don't attend church uh, or devout Christians, that you, you see that the regular churchgoers tend to not be as big of Trump fans, Trump supporters, as the people who identify that way but don't go to church all the time, which would suggest that, you know, for those people where that's just that evangelical thing is just one piece of the puzzle that Exactly. They they yeah, like the idea. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> the evangelical, they like God, the idea yeah, God's a great idea and I'm a big fan, you know. So yeah, absolutely. So No, I and I, I think that's that's where you you see this and and uh you have a candidate who is running as a take things back to where they used to be. And, and, and so to the extent we've, we've talked about uh, Trump being conservative, not a conservative in one sense of the word, he is a conservative and that he's sort of a, uh, and I'll, and I don't mean to, to, to make this a bigot or racial kind of thing, but he's like an Archie Bunker conservative. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, and it's based on, you know, Archie Bunker, I think viewed sympathetically, was a character who was was out of out of place. The world changed around him, and he was um, sort of alone and confused. And in you know, he used to understand the way the world worked, and now it didn't work that way. And I think those are a lot of the Trump voters and um, uh, the you know belief that you know again, well, this is a Christian country and uh, God's gun uh, got guns, etc. Um, is just a part of that tradition and. Uh, and if you, know, you get you, you, you get the, the Christian bet, it's more the tradition bet. Right, so you give Archie Bunker uh, five hundred million, a billion dollars, and he becomes Donald Trump. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know that Archie would be able to to run that that kind of campaign. But I'm saying <laughs> I think a lot of uh, Trump supporters, yeah, are yeah. Archie. Bunker. 
characters. Yeah, I, I think and, I, again, I don't mean to to demean that in the, the sense that you know Archie was a you know bigot, racist, that sort of thing. Uh, I, I mean it more in the Trump way Trump only dabbles in bigotry and racism. He's right. not no, as committed. I, no, as and I, I mean was. that in the way of um, he's someone who who wants things to to be the way yeah, the yeah. way they used to be. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, but I think you know, it's, girls and men were men. Yeah. So it really is all coming down. I think this is uh, the March fifteenth is Tuesday. It really is kind of what it boils down to, right? Because we both agree that if Trump takes Florida and Ohio, that's game over. Uh, but, you know, there are also some other big states that are voting. Uh, Illinois has 69 delegates, and that's actually more than Ohio and its winner-take-all. And Missouri and North Carolina are voting, too. So, you know, it's not it's not the case that if Trump, uh, if Trump doesn't win Ohio and Florida, he, you know, he still doesn't have a path to the nomination before the convention. I think he does, though I think it, it'd be kind of almost inconceivable for me to, to, at this point to see Trump losing Florida. I agree. Yeah. So, so again, I think our joint prediction then is Trump, uh, Trump edge or sorry, Kasich edges out Trump in Ohio. So Kasich stays in the race to the bitter end. Probably Rubio loses to Trump in Florida and drops out of the race. That about that about right. Uh, it's about right as to whether Kasich stays in the bitter end. We'll wait and see. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I, th- I still think that his strategy is going to uh, revolves around the convention, and I think he thinks he's going to be a better oh, alternative. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, before we get to the Democrats' uh, side, you know, there's been a lot of talk this week about violence at Trump rallies. He, in fact, he canceled one in Cincinnati, uh, where where I'm from uh well from right now uh because of possibility of violence and there was one in chicago that was canceled and so forth so uh uh you have you have any thoughts on what's going on here and who's to blame you know this is something that i don't know if, if you and i have both been involved in a lot of political theater type stuff uh, no violence you know, though. I, pardon no violence though no well yes and no i mean i i, I think back to uh and we'll tell the story in a second, but uh, you and I had sort of an adventure one time at a, uh, a, a Ku Klux Klan protest. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right uh, in D.C. Sort of a, a race riot. Tear and, gas and, was involved. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I think I, that's sort of what I, I want to get to. I Look, the, the Trump violence stuff, um, I think a lot of this, this happens in campaigns anyway, where you have uh, outside agitators, as Archie Bunker might call them. Um, or Bernie Sanders supporters, as Trump might call them, and, and right. quite accurately so, uh, who who show up with an intent to just cause trouble, uh, to to go out and sort of have an adventure, and um, which which I don't I get that I don't get I actually don't get that because it seems to me that 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 this idea of protesting by trying to disrupt someone else's speech is I, I feel it's kind of un-American in a way. I, I think if you feel that someone's message is abhorrent, is is awful, then the, the thing you should do is let them speak, encourage them to speak, you know, just make sure you're filming it and you put it up there on social media or something. But but shutting people down as a way of protesting, I think I, I have a real problem with that. I mean, I, I think that the violence, there's no excuse for it. But going to a 
going to a rally, anyone's rally, with the idea of shutting them down. I have the same problem with that that I have with uh, with liberals going, you know, trying to shut down conservative speakers that come to their campuses or things like that. I I want to hear these people speak, and if their ideas are as horrible as I think they are in some cases, then that's great. Let them get out there and let people be revolted by those ideas. That's that's my view of it. Well, and I I tend to share the same view. Uh, but I think what you want to get to is sort of the psychology of the, the protesters and who, who are typically younger folks uh, in their 20s. And and look, it, it is all just kind of fun and kind of an adventure. And, and I get that. I mean, to be able to go and say, hey, yeah, I got I got beat up at the Trump rally. I got thrown out at the Trump rally. Um, okay. That's sort of a badge of sure. honor. Sure. OK. These folks. And it's it makes a great story. And and back in <clears throat> in 1990, uh, I remember there was a. The Klan was supposed to march uh, in uh, downtown uh, Washington, D.C., and there were posters everywhere. And you and I, who are young 20-something college students, uh, went down to just sort of see the spectacle and sort of to join the protest And because, hey, we're against the Klan as anybody else. Absolutely. And And I remember getting down there and realizing that – so many of the other folks who were there to protest the Klan had, had brought like really big sticks, uh, if not baseball Never a bats. good sign, yeah. And uh, the Klan eventually didn't even really show up, but uh, there were there were bottles thrown and, and broken and sticks swung. And um, uh, I remember our, our uh, uh, one-time roommate, uh, Mark, got uh, hit with a police stick. Um, uh, and at that point, we both you and I, I think, agreed that the police yes. were probably justified. <laughs> Um, but I mean, I, I think it's, it's a symptom of, look, let's, let's look at who these people are. They're, they're young kids and it's, it, it's sort of an adventure. It's a rush. It's a, it's a, it's a high and you know, sure. I'm, I've, I've been there, you've been there. And uh, you know, and the, the other unfortunate part is Trump really invites this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. And and he doesn't handle it well. Um, you know, it's like any sort of stand-up comedian, um, a, a professional politician has to be able to deal with hecklers. Well, and it, it's it's and he talks out of both sides of his mouth with this, right? Because at the rallies, he'll he'll say one thing, and then when he's asked about it afterwards, he says something entirely different. And what what amazes me is that you know that idea that if you tell a lie boldly enough and often enough, people seem to start to believe it, you know, and, and he's great at that. And the way he can just say, no, I totally disagree with this violence and condemn it. And then at the rally, you say, oh, yeah, I should, you know, I can understand punching some guy in the nose. It's like, really? Right, right. Well, and, and, he, and he hasn't, I don't think, uh, come out directly and really condemned violence. He said, hey, my people are nice people. And what it reminds me of a little bit is the, um, you know, so often we had called upon Yasser Arafat to denounce violence. Right. And, and he would go around and he would denounce violence um, in, in English uh, to, you know, us and to the BBC and so forth. Uh, but, but when we called upon him, like, would you in, denounce violence uh, uh, in, in Arabic? And he always refused. <clears throat> right, because you don't or, want or at your least followers. Didn't do it. Yeah, and exactly. I think that's the sure. sort of thing. Yeah. He's sort of sending the, the two messages. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um before we move on to the uh Democrats, anything else on, on the Republican side? Do you wanna you wanna add in there or wanna switch over to, to Bernie and Hillary and how things are going there? <clears throat> Let's talk about Bernie and Hillary. I, okay. You know, I, but, I think we've although although I'll tell you we could talk about the I think the the political violence issue is something that's that's fascinating and we could have a longer discussion just on the the philosophy of it yeah absolutely and how stuff plays out yeah absolutely well before at we this point, uh, 
let's wait and see. Okay. Well, before we do get to the Democrats, uh, we want to just pause for a minute and thank a few of our listeners who in the last week have pledged their support to the podcast. Uh, first off, there's Judy from Boardman, Ohio. She is our first platinum level donor. You probably didn't even know there was a platinum level. We didn't actually know, but we got Judy's donation and said, wow, that's a platinum level donation. So there you go. Thank you so much, Judy. We really appreciate your support. Also, we have Andrew from Kalamazoo, who is a new monthly supporter of the show, and we really appreciate it. We had monthly supporters. That's crazy. We have monthly supporters. We have one-time supporters. We have platinum supporters. We've got it all, Jay. It's really it's really impressive. And thank you guys so much for supporting the show. Uh, that That's really great. And they, uh, you know, you can, if you're interested in doing that, or you can just go to our website, politicsguys.com, and you'll see the links for Patreon and PayPal, either one, both whatever but uh if you're if you're interested in supporting the show that would be great we would appreciate it all right um let's move on to the democrats so yeah, big surprise from bernie yeah you know michigan uh michigan was uh, uh everyone said all the polls said that uh hillary clinton was going to win in michigan in fact win big and bernie sanders scored uh what everyone feel is feels is an astonishing upset in the Michigan primary uh, really ranks as one of the biggest upset victories in uh, decades according to people you know who've been doing polling for decades so what do you think this means for the Sanders campaign Jay yeah, probably not a whole lot <laughs> um, no I mean it's, it's all a lot of fun for Bernie. and I, I would bring up this is again sort of the behind the news stuff that you you don't hear that much and this is what listeners come to count on us for um, but if you remember, John McCain's greatest victory uh, in 2000 was in Michigan. And the reason for that is Michigan is an open primary state and you can just show up and vote for whoever you want. Uh, so, right. you know, what What Bernie Sanders had a lot of folks who, in my sense, is uh, union supporters who were who may or may not be either independent uh, or probably not. Republicans, but he pulled a lot of people who would not be traditionally registered Democrats to vote in a primary, uh, just as McCain did in uh, 2000, pulling uh, non-traditional people who wouldn't traditionally be Republicans. So, I, you know, does it matter that much for his campaign? Uh, not really, because of the delegate count and uh, just the way things are playing out, and the fact that so many other states are going to be closed primaries and. And Clinton yeah. will control those. But you know, what's uh, but, what it, but what it does do is send a sense of weakness as to where independent voters might go right. in November. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, you mentioned the delegate count, and it's interesting if you just look in terms of pledge delegates. Uh, it, Clinton does have a lead. She's up over Sanders seven sixty six to five fifty one, which you know that's a lead, but that sounds like a real race. And if you just looked at that, you'd think Bernie's Bernie's got a a reasonable chance, you know, but when you look at superdelegates, it's Clinton 465, Sanders 25. And that's, yeah. it, that's exactly why the Democrats put the superdelegates in there because essentially, unless, unless Sanders because starts, they hate democracy. <laughs> <there you go. laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, uh, unless Sanders starts wildly outperforming uh, what he's been doing, uh, there's no way he comes away with this nomination, and that's exactly the point of it. And that's exactly the system that I guarantee you a lot of Republicans are dreaming about, are wishing, praying that they could, that they would have had. But of course, they oh, don't. Oh no, absolutely, absolutely. When I when I say hate the Marxism, I'm, I'm kidding, of, no, course, of course, because I I've I've, I've gone on the record as, as saying uh, I think open primaries are are horrific. Yeah. Um, they hate I think too that, much know, democracy. A, a party a party ought to be able to choose its own nominee. Absolutely. Um, 
So, however, but, it wants, and if right, the, if the right. party and, feels and, it's and, in, uh, it, it, it's in, in its best interest to make sure that someone who's not too radical, you know, is is the nominee, well, then I don't have a problem with that. I, you know, I think sometimes the, the problem is a little bit too much democracy. Democracy is great to a point, but you can overdo it. It's like anything else. You know, too much. Well, I, mean, I guess I guess my thought is is it's not something that uh, is necessarily ought to be democratic. Yeah, because it's an internal you know, party mean, thing. I see what you're of, saying. Yeah, if you're if you're going to have uh, your own party and you're going to decide decide what you want to uh, serve for snacks, uh, it it's it, and on the one hand, it might be wise to kind of get a poll from the people who are coming as to what they'd like. Yeah. Uh, but at the other, on the other hand, well, it's still your party, and you still get to to pick what's on the menu. So. Yeah, and if you want to serve broccoli, then people just leave your party. Right. Exactly. So exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming, you know, unless it, you have weird friends. But anyway, so so yeah, things don't change a whole lot, right? So Hillary Clinton's still well on track. I mean, is there aside from that the polling error thing, which pretty, I mean, the pollsters pretty clearly underestimated the youth turnout in Michigan. They underestimated just how completely Sanders would crush uh, Clinton among young voters, which is surprising considering he's always done that. And they also underestimated, I think, the the fact that uh, Sanders actually isn't doing as horribly among minority voters as maybe they thought he would. But but again, much you do about well, I, nothing. I think they underestimated the walk-in uh, yeah. part of it. Because, because again, those are folks that are, to some extent, depending on how you do your polling, uh, they don't necessarily show up. Right, right. You know, if you're polling registered Democrats, registered Republicans. Um, yeah, that's a good point. You get a better idea of who's going to show up. If you, if you have independents or people who may or may not or don't vote frequently, uh, they often fly under the radar on polls, and that's yeah. where you get some some surprising results. So that that's my sense. Again, with my I'm I'm always you know intuitive and, and kind of data free uh, where you actually have numbers, but right. That's my read on it. So, I mean, I think uh, – I don't know if I'm, – I'm not expecting anything major to happen on the 15th because, of course, the 15th is a big day for the Democrats as well. You know, the Florida, uh, Illinois, uh, Missouri, North Carolina, Ohio. So there's a lot of delegates up for grabs. But really, again, I, I don't see – this is, you know, we've we talked about this last week. Bernie Sanders is in it to the end, and he'll almost certainly get a chance to speak, and his people get a, you know, get a platform at the convention. But aside from that, this is, uh, I think you can put this one pretty much in the books. Yeah, the, the only exception, of course, would be my usual asterisk that that there are Clinton troubles always on the horizon, and super delegates by their nature are uncommitted. Right, that's one of the other sort of. I guess if you want to call beauty of superdelegates, is uh, if the going gets rough, uh, they can change their mind whenever they want. Yeah, well, I, I would actually and We hope, should talk about that as, as we talk about the Republican convention. Yeah, definitely. You know, I would actually hope that things, uh, just on a personal note, I would hope that things get a little rough for Clinton uh, because, well, uh, you know, I, I bought some stock in Clinton, you know, not too long ago. And so I'd like to pick up a little bit more. Her stock's gone down, actually, on predicted. She's at 81. You know, I Picked up my shares at 87. You got to make up for your Rubio losses. You know, really, yeah. Rubio's trading at like four, I think. So, okay, I, I totally, I screwed up on that one. So, I'm, I'm counting on Hillary to, uh, to pull me out of that at least a little bit. But, uh, but anyway, so uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about conventions. Uh, now, I don't think the Democratic convention is going to be that, that interesting. But earlier in the show, we were talking about the possibility of a contested Republican convention. Now, my guess, how maybe, does that work, Professor? Well, you know, my hope. Is that we're going to see one? I, 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 
I really don't I well you can tell I'm I'm conflicted here, right? I can hardly speak because I think in the end probably there won't be a contested convention. I think that Trump is probably gonna end up being the nominee before the convention. I think there might be a few there there are around a hundred and thirty or so unpledged Republican delegates, because Republicans don't have super delegates like we have, we have, I think, what are called uh, shadow delegates. Yeah, they, they have various words and so forth. But ghost delegates. Ghost yeah. delegates, that's good. But there aren't that many of them. And I think what's going to happen is Trump's going to be either over 1237 or real, real close coming to convention. And he's going to be able to convince enough of those people, those shadow delegates to support him so that he's going to win on the first ballot. I, I, I think that's what's going to happen. I hope not. But let's say that doesn't happen, okay? So how things work is this. On the first ballot, everyone who is pledged has to vote for the person that they're pledged to vote for. Pretty straightforward, right? Right. So if if, if uh, Trump won a state that was a, say, winner-take-all, all of those delegates would have to vote for Trump right. on so the first ballot. Trump wins Florida, 99 delegates. All 99 of those delegates have to vote for Trump. Now, let's say, though, that Again, you know, this is a vote and no one gets to 1237 on that first ballot. Well, then what happens is on the second ballot, a number of those bound delegates are released. Around uh, 57 percent or so of those delegates are released. And that means that they can vote for whichever candidate they want. Now, if they still don't get a majority or no one gets a majority 1237 after that second ballot, then around 81 percent of those delegates are pledged delegates are released on the third ballot and so forth and so on a little more with every ballot until it's pretty much a free for all. So this can go on for a while though. I don't think really people don't really think it go much past the third ballot or something like that. So that's basically the process now. And these votes wouldn't come one right after another. There would be a time period in between for politicking and so forth. Sometimes you hear the phrase brokered convention. Really, what it would be is a contested convention. A broker convention suggests that there are people, power, powerful figures who can broker this thing and set up candidates to win. And it's really more of a horse trading kind of thing. What can you do to get these to get these delegates to come over to you? So uh, anything could happen, obviously. Uh, it should be it should be pretty interesting. I mean, in 1924. You got to go back a ways. It took Democrats 103 ballots to finally settle on a candidate. He wow. did not do well. Um, you might not have heard of him. John W. Davis? No. No, yeah, John no, W. But, but Davis. I guess a lot of people didn't. Exactly. Yeah, that ballots to get that was the point. So, yeah, for, for the most part, when there is a broker, when there is a contested convention, sorry, nominees who, the, who come out of that generally don't do all that well, which isn't surprising because it suggests there's some split within the party itself, you know. Right, so, and some people would stay home. Yeah, exactly. So that's more or less how this would work out. Uh, you know, I, I would say the other example to look at, and the other weird thing that that could happen uh, in uh, the '76 convention, uh, Ted Kennedy was was close, was within striking distance mm-hmm. of uh, Jimmy Carter, and Carter went into the convention without having the majority, uh, and there was a floor fight over changing the rules. As as to how uh, right. how you voted that that would have allowed Kennedy to um, essentially take uh, take the nomination, uh, and it it didn't happen obviously, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised 
uh, and I've I've actually heard that there are some thoughts in Republican circles about, you know, what do we do with some of these procedural rules um, that that uh, might be changed or adapted uh, as things go forward. And, and again, look, this isn't this isn't a constitutional sort of issue. This is sort yeah. of the party's got its own rules. It's kind of like the. Uh, you know, whatever your your local PTA or uh, your uh, bowling league. I mean, they can you know, make yeah. whatever rules they want, and you can you can make them, you can change them. Well, we should point um, out that there are no rules for the 2016 Republican convention right now. There aren't the only rules that first there are. Rule, there are no rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, no, the rules are decided upon by the delegates at the convention, which would make sense. So it's not like the 2016 delegates are bound by the rules that the 2012 delegates put into place because they're different people. So when people talk about the rules in place, there are no rules in place, really. One of the first things they will do will will settle there on is the rules. traditional rules of exactly. what usually happens. Yeah, and and what, I guess that's the, the starting point that you start from. Yeah, and, and so, yeah, exactly. So there's nothing that says that they couldn't go in and change the rules and unbind all the delegates and say you can vote for whomever you want. Now, there would be a huge hue and cry, and that almost certainly won't happen, but that would be perfectly within the Republican Party's right to do that. Yeah. And the thing is, is the delegates would vote on those rules. But while delegates are bound to a candidate, they're not bound to uh, uh, rule changes. They can vote however they want on rule changes or rule proposals. So and there's one other rule that's been talked about a lot about not just binding candidates, but there's a rule, the, the infamous, maybe not so infamous, Rule 40. Uh, rule 40. Oh, yeah, Rule 40. Roof, roll, remind, roof. remind us, what is yeah. Rule 40? Rule 40 was put in place. Let me tell you what it is. It says that a candidate has to have the support of a majority of at least eight state delegations to have his or her name placed in the nomination. So, in other words, you can't be formally nominated unless six states, a majority of the delegates in six Essentially states. Essentially, have won six states. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. One six day. The reason they put this in place was in 2012, they didn't want Ron Paul's people to have a protest, basically get a lot of time and space at the convention. So they put this thing in the place right away. Since Paul hadn't won eight states, they knew they could basically just shut him out of the convention because they didn't want some nut at the convention, you know, screwing up their coronation of Mitt Romney, essentially. Which is what conventions right. tend to be, coronations. And so they want to keep that very simple, keep the message, you know, straightforward. There's no division in the party. We're all behind the candidate, that sort of thing. But now this rule is almost certainly going to, well, could potentially get changed because you could have a situation where, uh, you know, Donald Trump would be, I think at this point, the only one. Uh, now, Cruz will probably have won some states after that. But obviously you want to have more than one person in nomination if you're concerned that you don't want Donald Trump to be your nominee. Right, right. So, I, th- I think you're right. I think Cruz will have picked up the necessary states by the time we get the convention, assuming Trump hasn't locked it all up to begin with. But um, so no, there's there's a lot of interesting things that can happen. Yeah, and, I think. Uh, well, I think, and, and here's here's a, a there's a ray of hope, I guess, if you're anti-Trump. Uh, there are a lot of delegate counters who are working overtime, but let's say that Trump wins Florida and loses Ohio, which is what we're assuming. Right. Pretty much. And that's almost certainly he'd still need to win probably around somewhere between 50 to 60 percent of the remaining delegates the rest of the way to have the numbers going into the convention. 
that's a, which is doable. It's doable, but it it would be tough, you know, certainly. So right. now, if things get the convention, I would say that he, unless he's really really close, he's not going to be the nominee. Now, if he's really close, it might be tough to deny him that. If he's at like twelve hundred or something like that, that would be, I think, difficult. But if he's you know a little further away, I think that well, John Kasich maybe has a shot. Oh, I agree because once you get into that that weird sort of horse trading situation, uh, and people really sit down and do uh, uh, electoral math and polling and who wins where. Um, again, Kasich's ability to bring Ohio is is tremendous and and might be you know the 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 biggest selling point. Yeah. And, and again, that's not to I don't want to imply that there aren't others. Uh, but, and what's uh, Cruz bring? You know, I mean, Cruz to be the other the other candidate. Well, Cruz Cruz brings the the ideological purity sort of thing. That, oh, the uh, the loss, the, uh, the staggering the, the loss to Hillary Clinton. That's what he brings. I mean, well, come I on. But, but there are there are plenty of, uh, and I lament this often, uh, Republicans who are would rather be you know absolutely ideologically uh, correct uh, than than win. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yes, I know many of them. Yeah, absolutely. So, but you know, and I think and, so. Look, the the idea is the idea is that you know that maybe you win next time, and that was sort of the theory of hey, a, a Barry Goldwater campaign is uh, the guy will not win, and and he wasn't going to win anyway. Uh, but let him uh, uh, state the conservative philosophy, bring the party back to its roots, and so forth, and and pave the way for uh, you know a future person like a, a Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Uh, the, the the difficulty is is we don't we don't have those. I mean, I think most conservatives would say you don't have those fifteen twenty years to wait, right? Uh, to pave the road and wait for the next guy to come along. Right. Now we should point out that uh, anyone can be nominated if the rules are changed to allow for that that, that rule forty. So, for instance, some people are saying that well, Mitt Romney, uh, who you know, gave this speech basically saying we should shoot for a contested convention. Some people are saying that, well, he's hoping that he comes out as the nominee and his case would be, well, who's the last person to win a majority of the delegates, you know, from, from the people. That would be me, Mitt Romney. So, you know, and I don't think that would happen necessarily. Some people are talking about Paul Ryan and so forth, but uh, I would hope that coming out of it would be Kasich. I I love, before you move off of this, I want to say uh, Kasich had a great uh, comment on this. He said, if in fact I win Ohio, then we're probably going to go to a convention, contest a convention. And he said, in that case, I'm going to be the nominee because I don't know if you noticed, but the convention is in Ohio. Now, I don't know exactly what he meant by that. Get his, you know, round up the uh, the state police or something like that or, or something like that. But but uh, I, I'd like to think that John Kasich is right. Uh, I'd like to think that uh, he will come out as the nominee. I think it's the last hope for what I would call uh, sane republicanism, even though I don't think I could – I don't know that I'd vote for him. I sure think he would be a lot better alternative than anyone else who has a realistic shot at this point. Well, and I've I've put my cards on the table, and again, as a proud Ohioan, I've I've uh, always been sort of a supporter of, uh, of Governor Kasich, and uh, I got a sign in my yard. And uh, I'll tell you, Mike, it's 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 fun being in uh, Lakewood this this week. We've got uh, MSNBC is broadcasting from just down the street, um, and uh, I was actually in a crowd shot yesterday, wow. so that well. probably completely 
ruins my Republican street cred, having actually appeared on MSNBC. Yeah, that is not good. No. Uh, but uh, yeah, we have all kinds of uh, celebrities. Uh, Ted Danson and Mary Steenburgen were here wandering around the streets for Hillary. Uh, and we have a, the Bernie bus is uh, just sort of driving around randomly. I'm not sure who's on it. Bernie isn't, but he's got a bus here. So Cool. Wow. Well, that's that's really that's really something. So um, now I, I know we're, we're running a little long and I really did want to talk about uh, the Canadian prime minister, Justin Trudeau, uh, visiting. Did you know that it was the first state visit by a Canadian prime minister in 19 years? Huh. 19, I, I guess, you know, it's like you never it's like I, it's sort of like why bother, though? Yeah. Right? yeah I mean, I if you're going to it's kind of like if you're going to go on vacation, you want to go somewhere sort of exotic. I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, you know, that's true. Well, you know, it, it's uh, I guess the big the big news out of that is there was tons of media coverage and a, right. a lot he of that's, is something of a liberal heartthrob. Yeah, he's he's dreamy. That's the thing. And you take a look at the picture. My God, the the. the Trudeau and his wife and his kids, they look like they're cut out of some kind of newspaper ad and, you know, like, I don't know, a, a really nice, glossy magazine. Uh, it's very impressive that they are, they're an awful good looking family. And uh, I hope he enjoyed his time here. I don't really think much is going to come of it, but you know, he, he, he's, he's dreamy. I guess that's nice. But well, what was he talking about here? Mike? He was talking about the environment. He's against methane emissions, at least too many of them. Right. I am too, as is President Obama, and they didn't ask me, but the two of them agreed that they should they should try to cut methane emissions. And the fact that uh, President Obama is not going to be President Obama uh, after too long probably means that 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 essentially means exactly nothing. But they got together, and that was nice. He gave the younger guy some tips. He's only forty four. I say only forty four. You know, I'm not Obama, obviously Trudeau, that kind of thing. Right. But. Uh, but yeah, he came, he saw, I'm sure they had fun. It was a good time, was had by all, especially the reporters who got to gaze fondly upon the dreamy figure of Pierre. Pierre Trudeau got it, his dad, Justin Trudeau, who was also prime minister. But before we do go, you had a great story. I, I just heard that the the bare minimum, you, you didn't yeah, tell me Yeah, this also has to do with the environment. Oh, tell um, me. There was, this was in uh, Wednesday's Wall Street Journal, and they're notable and quotable. They just sort of pick interesting and funny things, but it kind of goes to stuff we talk about occasionally. There's the goofiness of uh, uh, the Academy. Uh, there is a, a My uh, people. paper out. It's, it's, it's published by the uh, University of Oregon, uh, underwritten by the U.S. National Science Foundation. Uh, this appeared in the Journal of Progress in Human Geography. What? The uh, what? It's about uh, feminist glaciology. Okay. That, and I'll oh. read you the excerpt, and that, excerpt, and that is that uh, ice is not just ice. The dominant way Western societies understand it through the science of glaciology is not a neutral representation of nature. The feminist glaciology framework draws attention to those who dominate and frame the production of glaciological knowledge, the gendered discourses of science and knowledge, the ways in which colonial, military, and geopolitical domination co-constitute glaciological, act, glaciological knowledge. Wow. Uh, and I, it, it goes on. Wow. I had no idea. I just thought it was ice. But, uh, yeah, feminist glaciology advocates for a shift of preoccupations in research policy and public perceptions from the physical and seemingly natural to a broader consideration of cryoscapes, the cryoscapes. human the insights and potentials of alternative ice narratives and folk glaciologies. Wow. Alternative ice narratives. And I haven't, I haven't read an alternative, a good alternative ice narrative. I, maybe never. I don't know, so maybe that's worth uh, worth checking out. I kind of like cry cryoscapes. Is that what you said? Cryoscapes. Cryoscapes. I, yes. It sounds like a movie. And cryoscape. I, it's, it's really, uh, with Hugh uh, Jackman. Again, I don't know. 
This is feminist glaciology. We think that colleges, uh, uh, the academy is being underfunded, and uh, this would seem to be proof that perhaps it is not. Well, I, I, I would I would disagree with that. I would say that the problem is is the relentless pressure to publish, uh, and certainly some things are definitely underfunded. Like for instance. I'm underfunded. I'm, I'm certainly under. I would never do feminist glaciology. You know, you know that, Jay, right? I just want to point that out. I am not a feminist glaciologist. Or, well, it, I'm it, a the feminist. other thing it sounds to me is that uh, the I'm call for is is very much um, feminist glaciology. Seems like it's going to be kind of more expensive. Yeah, uh, it probably would be. I guess studying it. So I think yeah. that sort of is the end, uh, really, the end call of what uh, feminist glaciology is about. But uh, well, we'll keep. We'll, we'll have to keep uh, track of that. You know, let, let us know if there are any other developments in the in the world of the apparently very exciting world of feminist glaciology. You know, I expect you to keep on top of this for us. I will. Okay. I will. All right. Well, uh, that's on that note. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, criticisms, or any questions for our Ask the Politics Guys show, which comes out every Wednesday, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail.com. That's politicsguys, one word, at gmail.com. And our Facebook page on which Jay and I post and comment on news articles, maybe even feminist glaciology, throughout the week and where you can join in is facebook.com slash politicsguys page. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would really appreciate it if you could take a minute to rate the show and write a quick review. And if you like what we're doing and want to be able, want us to be able to keep on doing it, a donation of even a buck or two, that would really help. We'd appreciate it. You'll find donation links on our site, politicsguys.com. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.